Welcome to another edition of Unplug It. As we move towards round four with a two and one record, we sit just outside the eight only on percentage. But it was a game against Richmond that turned quite dramatically midway through the third quarter. There would have been frustrated St Kilda supporters all over the land as we were butchering inside 50s and turning the ball over. And a lot of the bad habits that we've spoken about over the early rounds were all there on show as we fell four goals down. But it then all clicked. A dominant period after that. We wiped the floor with with Richmond. Max King tore another game apart. Our midfield was running riot and everything looked rosy. We got to Monday morning feeling pretty good about the immediate future. We know obviously there's going to be some ups and downs along the way. We hope to avoid the downs and, and do enough right that it ends up being a positive season. But that was probably the best signs we've shown, at least in an, in an isolated period of time since our finals run in 2020. So hopefully it does amount to something going forward. Uh, 18 goals, we, we kick, we kick straight, we convert our chances. Uh, Max King obviously kicks four and a quarter, could have probably kicked six or seven in that last term. And we win what was probably considered to be a 50-50 game quite comfortably. H, your uh, immediate thoughts after that? It was a very satisfying final siren. I guess so. Um, half time was sort of, I think, sitting there thinking, okay, which way is this going? Where are we? Then we fall 25 points behind and here we go again. That's it, not not as bad as last year, obviously. that That was... Well, I think we're 25 points down within 25 seconds last year. So it, it almost, I guess at the start of the game, I always felt like I was going to go that way as well after they kicked two in, two in what? I think it was 31 seconds, the first two goals. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're sort of sitting there going, don't let this happen again, please. So it's to get within, to be two points behind at the end of the quarter, you're thinking, all right, we're still in this. Rich and pull away. It's a bit like, okay. Here we go. Here we go. This is what we what we sort of did last year at times. We held in, and then the third quarter we fell over, and next thing we know, well, I don't know what's happened, but someone's flicked the switch, and we, we've actually just switched on. And I don't know, yeah, more a factor of we switched on or Richmond stopped, or which which way you look at it. But sixty four straight points, right? I could not tell you the last time we've done that. Um, I think there was a game against North Melbourne in about, well, around about 2010. I think we get the first 10 goals or something. But apart yeah. from that, I can't, I can't recall that kind of streak that the team has put together as a for scoring. It's a, it, when you think about the way the games play these days, to kick that a score consecutively, it's a, it's a massive thing to do, um, especially against a team who's had the record that they've had the last few years. So it's not like it's against North Melbourne. It's not the Adelaide who have struggled a bit or whatever. It was it was against Richmond of all teams. So that's the sort of thing we were looking at and going, hey, that, that's a huge, huge um, achievement. So it, it's nice to do that, but be good to let's put four team the four cores together and actually beat a team which we haven't done for a while now. That would be, it'd be real nice to just put away a team like that one day. Yeah, I mean, obviously 64 in a row. I mean, I probably even, we might not have even done that when we blew Richmond away in 2017. But um, I think that they, 
yeah, it, it is quite extraordinary. Now, I know they did similar in round one against Carlton where they sort of hit the wall and and stopped. So there's probably an element of, of both in it. But, yeah, really encouraging. And, and for me, we, we turned the screws a little bit in the third quarter. And, and I thought when we were struggling, it was guys like Ross and, and Crouch that were, were keeping us in the game in the in the middle. And that Mason Wood goal when we, we'd missed a couple of chances and we were sort of banging our heads against the wall. And that was the one I thought where it was almost like collectively we thought, no, nah, here we go. Uh, and, and they on the ground sort of felt a little bit that way, Nick, that that was us sort of sitting there going, no, we're, we're getting some reward now. We're within a couple of kicks. We should be winning this game. And, and away they went. Yeah, exactly right. And I had this conversation with, with a few people this week that, even though we were a couple of goals down, where it was three, three or four goals down at, at that stage, it felt like even before that Mason Wood goal, that defensively we just throttled, throttled them the entire third quarter um, for the, the ten minutes or, or whatever it was, eight minutes before that that Wood goal. And defensively, we were really, really solid, which was different to the first half. I thought Richmond moved the ball. Yeah, they've got this um, Charlie Claus and said on on the Two Guys One Cup podcast this. Um, Chaos ball, you know, Richmond kind of have this chaos ball strategy where they just push it forward, they pump it, they move it around. And, and it's, you know, that they did that really easily against us. I mean, funnily enough, we did it really easily against them too. When we, we got a, a bit of a run on, we'd kick two or three really quickly. And then they'd go and kick two or three really quickly. And, and, and it kind of alternated momentum for, for a little while during that first quarter. But um, across the, the entire third quarter, I thought we completely throttled them defensively and, strangled them across halfback. They couldn't get it into the, their forward 50. And one of the, the surprising things is looking at the inside 50 numbers. And they actually had more inside 50s than us over the course of the game. But it, it didn't feel like that at the time. And then Wood kicked that goal and it felt like this collective you know, sense of relief. Like it was almost like um, coming into the second, the second quarter, it, was like, it felt like scores are level almost. And mm. first score wins. And it just felt like whoever gets the momentum here is going to run away with it. And somehow, yeah, after the first first, there was a couple couple of frenetic minutes to open that third quarter, but we we held them out, um, and, and then we strangled them, and then we kicked that goal, and just kind of there was this this sense of relief and calm, and seeing guys like like Jimmy Webster, like Jack Sinclair, um, Dan McKenzie, uh, I guess take control of the game. And you said Seb Ross, and Seb Ross has been maligned for for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. various obvious reasons at, at times over the last few years. But you know, he, he kind of controlled that that uh, middle area of of the park. And uh, Brad Crouch again, similar similar kind of discussion was really really good. Um, and to see some of those lesser lights like those guys, like McKenzie, like Webster, um, and Sinclair, who's now becoming becoming a star of this team, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. really take control and settle things down. Um, to the point where we were able to go bang, bang, bang at the start of that last quarter and really you know, rip the game away from them really quickly um, was was very pleasing. Yeah, and a lot can be said about the the balance of the tools and how that works going forward. We'll see it again this week. I thought that Marshall, I know he kicked a couple of goals, but I thought he's, he struggled a little bit at times to, to get a bit of rhythm. I thought Ryder did his thing in the tap-outs. Um, Hayes 
hardly played in the ruck, but was lively forward, had a, a few shots at goal and, and contributed well. Um, Marshall made a, a couple of blues, but but in the end, obviously, you get a couple of goals out of one of your ruckmen. That's a, a pretty good result. Obviously, Max King was struggling earlier, uh, early, and and Brad Hill was struggling early. A lot of the guys that were the finishers, if you if you will, were, were kind of struggling a little bit. Uh, obviously, Butler went out of the game after the early start, and it was the the harder-nosed players, I guess, um, for want of a better expression, your inside players like Crouch and Ross, and obviously Gresham goes in, you know, pretty tough in there as well. Jack Steele, that were having the influence in the in the early part of the game. I thought Jared Lynott was was pretty good for most of the first half, and I thought Mason Wood. I thought when we won the game, it was a lot of our finishes. So Mason Wood on a wing, uh, Brad Hill's last quarter. Um, I know Gresham's a bit of both, certainly King, um, those sorts of guys, memory were the ones that, that added all of that gloss at the end when it all started to happen for us. Ben Long, technically, as well, who, who came on as a sub for, for Jack Higgins. So, yeah, there was a lot to like in the end, and I think that's what made it frustrating in the third quarter because it felt like as the game was drifting a little bit away from us and we were four goals down, that that wasn't the way the game felt like it should be trending. Um and yeah, when it did turn our way, it stayed our way. So I guess the the rubber bow on that sits with votes. H, uh, do you want to kick us off with your three, two, one? Yeah, uh, struggled with the one this week. Uh, again, had probably a dozen players I could have thrown into the, the one vote. It was just it's that sort of um, effort. We look at goat. The more players that we've got to choose from, the better we know we've played, and it it's it's. As hard as it is to try to figure out which one who you're going to give it to, you go, This is fantastic. Because we know that, yeah, that spread of great players that we've had over a game means we can go places, means we could we've got the team. We've I mean, we still think about it, we've still got a few players to come back as well. So it's things are looking pretty good. So um the one I snuck in Gresham, he a lot of the ball goes a lot of drive through the middle. Um, I didn't uh, I didn't contest the possessions, which that I think that's what his role's going to be at the moment. Looking at it, it's he's he's there to get us out of that situation where we've found that I think we've had more last year when he wasn't there. We had more players sitting outside the pack waiting for it, and we didn't have that play in there burrowing and getting it out and. The amount of times he threw himself in and got the ball out of there, it, it gave us something to actually work with inside. So he's just going to get better and better every week playing that role. And the more tar- the, as he starts hitting more targets, he's going to become very dangerous because it just hasn't worked that little bit out yet. But it's a, it's the sort of thing that's going to come. He's missed a lot of football, so he'll be... Yeah, he'll be right up there to help us with that. Um, I didn't, I didn't give him the votes last week when he tore Freo apart, but I'm going to give Max King two. Um, he he did a fair bit of work in the earlier parts before he kicked the goal, though. Um, I, he, he was making the contest down the ground. He was taking a few marks down the ground. He was providing, giving, pull a few times. He pulled the a couple of defenders out, which gave us a few out the back, and it. it you don't have to get the ball to make an impact sometimes. And that's, and that's what he did. He provide us, provided us the target. He might not have got it, but all of a sudden, he's got three defenders trying to, trying to beat him. 
off we go. We've got two players that were running away and open and using the ball. So, unfortunately, there's a few times there where we got that extra player out, but it, as, as we do sometimes, we totally stuffed it. So, it's just a matter of we get those right too. And he can be just as valuable with the ball as without the ball at times. So, um, and three, I had to go. Brad Crouch, I saw him get the medal after the game. I thought, yeah, I think that's right this week. He's um, just, I gave him votes last week as well. And it, I, he improved so much more on what he gave last week. I thought he, his, his game last week was really good, but this week was a step up again. Um, I think he's really found his spot in the team. He's really um, giving us what we wanted when we brought him in. It's he's a, he's the sort of player he's he's giving us a lot of leadership in the middle and he's hopefully just he'll keep improving he'll keep working with the midfield group they'll keep working as a team and hey our, our midfield with Steele not doing a lot at the moment compared to what we had last year that's only a good thing because we know the others are now stepping up to help him out so he he has stepped up. Let's watch all the others follow and hopefully help them. And hey, if we don't have to give Jack Steele a vote all year, <laughs> that'd be that's fine. Just no, it just means that we know that everyone's yeah really stepping up and helping him out compared to what we did last year. Nick, your uh, your nominations? Yeah, I, I agree a lot with uh, with all that. H, I, I've, I want to give an honourable mention to Jack Steele because I thought I thought he played a, a different role this week to, to what he normally does. And and he played a bit more of an outside role. He, he led the, led the team. I think he was, uh, he led the, the game potentially even for meters gained. He kicked long a lot. Uh, he, he kind of found space and ran and ran into space and, and, and found some of that, the areas of the ground that, that were not taken up by Richmond defenders. Um, whereas previously, you know, we're kind of used to him dominating in the middle. Uh, and I, and I thought he was, he was good without being excellent, at least to, to his, level but I thought that he was he was certainly very damaging um I gave one vote to Max King I thought that 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 patch um was again like against Fremantle was the difference in terms of pulling the game from a loss to a win um and and that's kind of what he can do he doesn't I would love to see him put four quarters of, of that together. I mean, he could kick 12 or 15 in, in a game and, and we know that we don't see that very often in, in today's game anymore. But if you know, imagine, imagine if he puts four quarters of, of that 20 minute burst together, um, you know, and how devastating that could be. Um, and it's just, it's really fun to watch him develop almost weekly. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years now. We've seen glimpses of it. He's now done it two weeks in a row. I'd love to see him, do it for four quarters in a row. Um, I gave two votes to Brad Crouch. I thought he was very good, um, very close to best on ground, if not best on ground. Um, and, and really, H, like you said, takes the pressure off Jack Steele. And I think compliments him really well in being able to, you know, he, he allows Jack to do some more dynamic things around the ground that that we know he's got the skill set to do. Um, and I think that, again, you know, bringing, bringing someone like Zach Jones back into that, into that midfield group with Crouch winning the hardball and um, you know, clearance beast, et cetera, allowing Jack to be more offensive minded. Um, and then Zach Jones and, and Gresham being real X factors and, and pace and power and all that sort of stuff is really promising and, and something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. 
um, to having having Zach Jones back. But I gave three votes um, to Jack Sinclair. I think the move to put Sinclair into the middle has been a masterstroke. It's, it's not something that I, I really saw coming or, or expected. I thought he'd been very good the last couple of years off, off halfback, uh, moving on to a wing. And I thought that he'd kind of found his found his niche, found his spot in the, in the team and, and was certainly one of our one of our best players last year. Uh, but I think he's elevated himself once again this year. I thought he was our most dynamic player across four quarters. He kept running. Uh, his running patterns are incredible and the work rate that he offers uh, up and down the ground, offensively, defensively uh, are elite. And he's kind of, yeah, he would be leading our best and fairest at this stage, I would imagine. Um, and he's getting very close to that, you know, top two, top three players uh, on our list at the moment. Yeah, hard to argue with with any of that. I, I gave Max King a, a slight apology. I know it's probably hard when you've you've been the catalyst in the result uh, at, at the end in, in pulling away in that last quarter. I gave Jack Steele an honourable mention. I gave Sinclair an, an honourable mention. But I squeezed Severossi, and you mentioned that he'd been maligned. I reckon that he and Crouch were the reason we're in the game. Probably you could throw Sinclair and Gresham into that mix uh, midway through the third quarter. So I gave Seb a vote, and I think the last couple of weeks he, he's played. I guess the, the best type of game that he can play, the, the sort of in close, using the ball short and precise and those sorts of things. Uh, two votes to Brad Crouch. I know he got the medal, um, but I thought, thought he was outstanding. Obviously, he kicked the goal that started that run of 10 in the in the third quarter, um, which was a really nice individual piece of play. And I gave three votes to Jay Gresham. I thought 32 possessions worked hard all the way through. Um um, I thought his contribution both inside and outside was probably the most complete. So uh, I gave him three votes and, and really good to see him back fit and firing. Uh, Honourable mention also to Mason Wood. Obviously ended up with 23. Thought he was pivotal to the outcome did, uh, uh, did, in the way that he played. So. Did you like the uh, the handball to, to Crouch for that goal? Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> we can call it that if, if you will. I, I was watching that on silent and I thought, no, he's got away with that. But you take, you take, your, take your victories. But um, a man who took plenty of victories, particularly early in his career, he was a premiership player in his eighth game as the youngest premiership player, unfortunately, in St Kilda's history on that day in 1966, is Alan Davis. Well, Alan Davis was a super player for the Saints, youngest member of the 1966 Premiership team. And we've been lucky over the last couple of years to speak to a few members of that Premiership lineup. He played 173 games for the Saints and kicked 308 goals. Kicked six goals in a prelim in 1971, kicked three in a prelim in 66 as well. Also played for Melbourne, Essendon and Collingwood, 250 games all up in his career. And he also coached St Kilda briefly in the middle of 1987 when Daryl Baldock, the then coach, had a health scare. Uh, he was a club's leading goal kicker on two occasions. And obviously the family name did continue on a generation later for the club. But Alan, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Now, you debuted as a 17-year-old, played in a premiership as a teenager in your first season. So I guess uh, as debuts go, uh, that, that's a pretty special one, particularly at a club like St Kilda, who hadn't had success for you to taste that in your first year. Yeah, I thought they did it every year, actually. <laughs> I thought it was commonplace. No, it was... Um, it was... Uh, uh, oh, it was... 
because of my age, um, and and most of the players that were playing in that side were a mature side. They played together for a long long time. So um, I was really the kid on the block, and um, unfortunately I played enough good games in the reserves to get a game in the seniors. And I think I played eight games my first season in the seniors. And um, and I was in the right place at the right time, fortunately. I read that growing up you were a Collingwood fan. So thinking about how only a year before you were actually supporting the players that you would eventually come up against in the grand final, how has the transition from being from one side of the fence to the other against players that you were your heroes at the time? Um, well, uh, Bobby Rose was my hero as a kid growing up. I think once you get to a certain age, but probably from 14, 15, 16, you're concentrating more. I could name every Collingwood side from 1954 onward, every player and, and their number. So that's how devoted I was to Collingwood. My father lived one street away from the Collingwood football ground. So I used to sit there with grandmother and grandfather, hear the siren going at uh, Victoria Park and... I'd walk out the door and go go to um, Victoria Park and watch Collingwood play. But it didn't really, because I lived in Sandringham, um, you know, uh, and, and you're involved in your own sport. I, I came out of East Sandringham, which was a fantastic um, football club to be involved with in junior football. It was a junior football club, but the amount of players that they actually says a lot for the way they coached their players and also looked after them like Ian Cooper and I could name probably a dozen players even while I was there at St Kilda came through from East Sandy. Alan, tell us some of your memories of of Alan Jeans. Obviously we've spoken to to the likes of Ross Smith, Bob Murray, Stuart Trott um, but what was it like as as that teenager coming through playing under under Alan Jeans and, and what was he like to I guess the younger members of, of that team in, in 66? I, I didn't have a very good um, uh, relationship with Alan because uh, the year before when I was playing with East Sandy and I was 16 Jeansy came down and offered if I signed with the club offered for me to play play for them in the finals in 1965 and my father told him where to go he said I was too young, too skinny, not really anywhere near ready to go and take on um, adult footballers. So, Jeansy, when I got there the following year, embarrassed me in front of all the senior players by saying I stayed at East Sandingham to be king of the kids, <laughs> which upset me. So my relationship with Alan Jeans was tumultuous, mate, to say the least. Did did that change through the through the course of the year as as it became kind of clear that that we're onto something special and then and then into the that finals period? No, not at all. I got a game purely on on the games I played in the reserves. I played in the reserves that season. A lot of the games, as I said, I probably played eight games in the seniors. Um, but I I honestly believe that I earned my place in the senior side because I was probably I. I I had a good season as far as that went. So I didn't get, I definitely didn't get a 
again because anybody liked me particularly. You had a pretty good record in, in finals. So obviously to play in finals early in your career and do well at that prelim in, in 66 and then obviously pushing on into the early 70s, um, you, yep. you had a very good record in finals there as well. How much confidence did you take, I guess, from that early prelim that you could play well on the big stage? Um, that Because 66, we played Essendon, who um, they'd played in the grand final the year before. Daryl Gerlach played on me. Um, Daryl Gerlach was the state back puppet. I didn't have I, I didn't have a lot of trouble playing against players that were my size. Gerlach was probably about the same size as me, about six foot, about the same. But obviously, he's a highly experienced player. I even the back pockets I played against. I the only players I really had. Um, I was a, a midfielder, um, and like I was playing in the forward pocket, and Ross Smith was roving, so he didn't get on the ball very much. But basically, throughout my career, I was really a midfielder um, come forward. I had the capabilities of kicking a goal, but I I really didn't like playing full forward at all. It really it didn't what a I, I wasn't used to being out of the play because I played all my junior football as a centre man. Obviously, if they're in Stewart at St Kilda, you're not going to get in front of him. So, you know, I was playing mostly later on in the career. I was playing as a ruck rover. Um, and I played some games in the centre. But I think even with the players that are playing today, um, uh, you get a... a good midfielder and put him at full forward the whole time. He's used to actually being involved in the game and making his own game, whereas at full forward you're relying on the way the ball comes down, whether it comes down quickly or slowly. Obviously, if you're not that tall and they're kicking the ball up in the air, you're going to struggle. Um, so all those, and, and I can honestly say, I, abs- I never ever thought my whole life I was a full forward. So... And I, I still don't believe I should have ever played there. But you play there because you're told to play there. Well, I was going to ask about the transition from one to the other, but um, you're giving us a little bit of insight there. But how, how was the, I guess, fanfare but back in the day of being a lead club leading goal kicker or being, I guess, the, the key forward in the team? Did it? Is is it a position that we see? I guess the um, the fans draw to these sort of players. Well, mainly throughout like the eighties, nineties, early thousands until it sort of dropped off a little bit. But did did you find that you sort of um, got a bit more fanfare being that big forward that where, that being the focal point? No, not at all. No, I didn't. We had a lot of players there that were fairly. Like when you consider the players that we had at that club during the period I was there, the ten years I was there, wow! It really reads like a list of who's who. Really, like when even the grand final, that grand final side '66, we had four Brownlow medalists in that side. Like, and, and that's without counting Baldock and Stewart and these guys. Uh, I mean, not Stewart, Baldock and. Um, Carl, 
and there was a, a lot of other players. Daryl Griffiths, the, you know, the, the side was packed. Like St Kilda was very fortunate at that stage. They had a really good zone. East Brighton and East Sandy and those clubs, they supplied St Kilda with some fantastic players. And really the only change that took place during my career I was at St Kilda was when the zone got changed and Hawthorne got half the zone from the peninsula and they also picked up a lot of the zone out on Warrior and out the back of Pakenham. So they finished up with that many good players. Um, half their players in their seconds could have played a lot of league, you know, if they'd been in other clubs, would have played a lot of league games. Um, so, you know, we, Lee Matthews, Dermot Britton, they should have all been St Kilda players. But what happens through powerful forces in the VFL, Hawthorne was able to get zones changed. Um, I think Cook was the secretary. Um, and the powers that be, and really that was the makings of Hawthorne because at that stage they were no better off than us. They'd won a premiership in 64, we won one in 66. After that, like there's been no stopping Hawthorne, and it really gets down to, I, I, I just can't believe nobody ever brings it up. You hardly ever hear it mentioned, but the powers that be, like whoever was able to make those changes, was ridiculous, really. Yeah, I, th- I think we've spoken to to guys like Russell Green and, and Russell Morris, who guys who played for both clubs, that that kind of yep. referred to, to those those days. Um, but Alan, you, you mentioned, I guess, the star-studded nature of that, uh, I guess, late '60s team, and you mentioned mentioned a few of those names. But um, I guess everybody's opinion on that squad and and that lineup differs. Um, who was the best player that you played with at St Kilda, and why? Yeah, well, I, I, I actually prefer not to run on, run on that because they're all different. They, they play a different roles. Like, Bullock's the all-time great. <laughs> like, as far as I'm concerned, because of his size, being able to play that position, centre-half forward at five foot ten, like he is a master. But you walk past Stewie and you go, the best centre-man that's ever been. And Stewart's a fabulous player. Um Carl, what he brought to the side, like, he was bloody like Mr. Gadget. He had so much energy and he was a fabulous player. Like, he had terrible injuries towards the end of his career. But like those guys, Verdon Howe, Bobby Murray, Smithy. Like, Smithy was a ball magnet. And his fitness level, like, would be second to nobody. Anyway, you could just going for hours about but some of the players, you know, even unknown, you know, to a lot of people, like Johnny McIntosh came across from Western Australia. Mm-hmm. Johnny McIntosh was a gun. But, uh, you know, they take time to adapt to the speed of um, VFL football up against Western Australian football, that's all. 70 goals in 1971, 52 in 72, 49 in 73. Obviously, kick a bag of 10 along the way, multiple bags of, of six, and obviously ended up with over 300 goals to the club and in the top 10 of the club's goal kickers. You did speak at the start about your relationship with Alan Jeans. He coached you for 10 years. He was your only coach at St Kilda. Did your relationship improve over time? And what was your relationship like with a lot of those superstar players and, and teammates over the journey as well? 
No, I, I, I think my relationship with my teammates is pretty good. I probably thought I because I was um, there was there was a generation gap between me and most of the players because of my age. So um, you know, I, I, I virtually the guys I was hanging out with were the younger younger group. They weren't the established players like Morrow and Cowdy and Bruni was about my age, but I maybe. 12 or 18 months older or something like that. But um, And I, I wasn't really a, uh, a nightclub or a, so I was quite happy to go home. I was, you know, I was, I, I think I went to a social club about three times in my life. So that wasn't really my scene. I was quite happy to go home. But to, uh, to answer your question about Alan Jeans, um, I tried to get a clearance for a, a lot of the time, and I don't know why he wouldn't give me a clearance. I think he was worried about maybe I'd do better at another club or something. I don't know. But to be perfectly honest, um, our relationship was never any good, really. It was, I could, you know, I could tell you stories, and um, I, I, I played in the state side in South Australia, and, and John Kennedy said to me, what's Alan Jones got against you? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in those days, the coach was the one who'd recommend players to play in the state game. And uh, he said, well, you wouldn't be in this side if I hadn't picked you. So as you mentioned about being in the situation thing and I could just go to another team, you eventually do move on to Melbourne. How, how did they come about? Was it just the 10-year rule back in the day um, or did you did you seek the rule. to move elsewhere? I couldn't I hang on. No, it was a 10-year rule. So the club couldn't have stopped me from going. And um, I, 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 at that stage, because I was so frustrated, my love of the game had been taken away from me, really. Um, and I, I made up my mind I'd go and play football where under somebody that I wanted to play under. And Skilton was coaching Melbourne, so I was, I was really, and he was fantastic. I really enjoyed. It. And when he finished at Melbourne. A Blake Dennis Jones came along there as coach, who I didn't particularly know that well, but I didn't like him that much. So I finished up going to Essendon under Barry Davis, who was I really liked him too. So there was a reason behind why I did what I did. Alan, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say it's really interesting hearing hearing that side, I guess, of your experience and. Uh, How's your your relationship now with the club as as a former player and someone who who went and experienced life at at other clubs? What what's what's your relationship like as a past player with the St Kilda Football Club now? Um, I've never had any problems socially with people. Um, I, and football clubs, to all intents and purposes, people have asked me that they they all football clubs are the same. Really, and they talk about the culture of clubs and so on and so forth. The culture is really to do with the people that are, are in, involved at the club. If the people who are running the club are decent, and that's your club is built around that. So you know, Skelton was fantastic. Barry Davis and God, which club did you prefer? It made no difference to me which club I was at. Because as far as I was concerned, I was just young blokes the same as me, just playing a game of sport and do, doing their best. 
As coach in 1987, obviously Daryl Bulldog, club legend, had returned. There was a lot of excitement with Tony Lockett and Nicky Winmar and all of these breakout stars, Danny Frawley as captain and a lot of the Carlton boys that had come across. Can you take us through, I guess, that year and the tumultuous set of circumstances that led to you coaching the club for a handful of games in Doc's absence? Yeah, uh, well, I think the reason why Daryl got me involved we, we knew each other personally anyway. I'd gone across after he lost his son in a car accident in Tasmania. I went across and helped out with a trade footy club that he was closely associated with in Tassie for 12 months. And um, uh, when he came over here, because he uh, left St Kilda in 1969, so that's 20 years, and he probably didn't have all that good a grip on the actual players in the competition, and he thought that I would have a reasonable um, knowledge of the uh, the opposition players, which I think I ha- did have, and um, so he called on me to see if I'd assist, and I was only too happy to, and I learnt more off Daryl in uh, so many ways uh, his outlook on the game and his, um, his knowledge of, of how you go about playing and how you go about setting up a forward line and things like that. I was always sort of, um, I was in awe of Daryl, but you know, we, were, we, we were good mates. So that was, that was nice. That was one of the beautiful things from footy, actually. Later on again, you would have your son, actually come to the club as well, Chad. Um, yep. h- how was the feeling when he gets picked up by the club and that did you basically get down there straight away again and or were you still somehow getting down there occasionally or it, it was a, a first return again for, for a period of time? Um, I've... Um, I, I, I... I've got a funny attitude towards hanging around clubs unless I'm actually doing something. In the case with Daryl, I was doing something for those three years. Um, I don't like hanging around clubs because I feel like I'm a, a has-been, somebody who's been there, and I've seen people over the years that they've got nothing else, whereas I've got five children and I've got about 11 great-grandchildren. So I've, I've put all my energy as much as I can into my family um, with regards to Chad, my son, that's why I uh, decided not to go on uh, with my coaching because I wanted to watch him play his football. Because I always remember that um, somebody told me that Alan Jones, because of the amount of time he involved himself in football, never had the opportunity to watch his son play. And I think that, you know, once you're at that top level, the amount of time you've got to devote, at the expense, is, uh, it's a big choice to make. So I made my choice and I'm glad I did because I think I would have missed a lot of things. And my son, unfortunately, had, uh, when he was at uh, school, um, he was at Kerry Grammar and he um, they were playing for the uh, private school's grand final and things like that. And he had a a very bad ear infection, blastiotoma in his ear, and he finished up having major surgery on one ear. So he couldn't, he could never hear out of that ear. 
and and also he should have had a cornea transplant, but he still hasn't had it. He refuses to because of the surgery he had with his ear. He had he really traumatised him. Um, so he still played league football, and I always said to him, oh, there's plenty of players have things wrong with them and stuff like that, but I think it held him back because it didn't help him with his judgment or his hearing. Because I remember one stage there, Tim Watson said to me, what's wrong with Chad? Because I knew Tim from Melbourne. We're good friends. Uh, yes, no, sorry. And um, when he was coaching St Kilda, he said, what's wrong with Chad? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I yell out to him and he just ignores me. And that's probably the worst thing you can do to a coach. And I said, no, nah, Tim, he wouldn't hear. That, that ear is, he can't hear a thing out of that ear. And Tim said, oh, God, thank God for that. <laughs> How, how's he going now, John? How's Chad going now? No, he'll, he'll always carry that, mate. You can't get away. But he's fine. Chad, Chad's good outside of all that. He runs a fitness business. and and um, But it, it does things like that. You know, I, I, everybody who plays at that level would have some story of some description. No, I... The reason Tim didn't know was I'd always said to Chad, don't ever tell people what's wrong with you because I always think you're making up an excuse. <laughs> so he hadn't told Tim, but I told Tim when he rang me. That was all. The, the, the final one from me, um, you, you mentioned winning a premiership in your first year. You thought, oh, we might, might win these things every year. Was that something that as the years go by, meant more and more and more. And, and now as you look back on your career, you're like, no, that was enormous. To win a premiership, first of all, but to win one with St Kilda, the significance of that just grows all the time? Um, speaking selfishly, not really because I didn't play well. Um, and I have got an excuse for that too because uh, that particular day, I didn't find out until I got to the ground Daryl had a crook knee, and uh, Montgomery was playing on me from Collingwood, and Jeremy told me to stand on that point post and don't move. <laughs> Montgomery worked out within five minutes what I was doing because he was worried about Montgomery getting near Daryl. So every time I moved, out come the runner, who I finished up disliking, not because he did anything to me, but just the fact that he kept – it was Kenny Whippen, and I've never forgotten it. I've, looking back, I've thought – why should I dislike him for doing... He's just doing what he's been told. <laughs> but it was the worst bloody piece of... Like, it was ridiculous. And it just... Like... I'm, I'm, and if you... The only bloke that's ever stuck up for me was Kevin Billings because he was sitting on the bench as 20th man and Billy couldn't believe what was taking place. He said to me, I don't know, I don't know why somebody... You know, nobody ever said anything to me or... But it absolutely stuffed me, really. Your uh, record hey, is your record is is super though, uh, and obviously you are etched in history forever. And a, a club leading goal kicker, a two hundred and fifty game AFL player, Alan. Thank you very much for for joining us and and sharing the uh, the, the journey along the way. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Alan Davis here. Interesting chat. Obviously, there's probably going to be some talking points on our socials out of some of that, but um, feels like a person that might have been carrying a few secrets around that 
wanted to get a few things off his chest at, at you know post his career and um, obviously we it's harder to dig a little bit deeper into some of those with Alan Jeans no longer with us but um, yeah certainly some things we'll chat about amongst that we go to the MCG for the first time this year to take on Hawthorne on Sunday the Hawks going as well as anyone in the competition they, they gave Carlton a seven goal start last week and came back hit the front lost by a point they're ranked number one defensively in the comp. They dismantled Port. I know Porter clearly in a hole, but they belted them in, in round two, uh, beat North fairly comfortably in, in round one. Probably hard to get a huge reading on that. But a game that we might have looked at at the start of the year and thought, well, that's one that we, we should tick is now a game that it's probably closer to 50-50. Certainly the balance of form pretty even between the two sides. Uh, we, we played the G well last year. Um, hopefully we can keep doing that uh, as we front up this time. Really important game, obviously, with, with Hawthorne and then the Gold Coast at, at Marvel. We can build a bit of momentum with, with players to come back. But this is as tricky a game as we have faced in the first month of the season Without a doubt, uh, Marcus Windhager, who's been Sandringham's best player in the last two weeks, has been confirmed to debut, and, and the club wouldn't be pumping that up if he was going to be a sub. So he'll play, you would think. Obviously, they brought Burns back into an extended squad um, and a couple of others that are sort of floating around the, uh, the edges there as well. Uh, Connolly, I think, is another one that's sort of in and around the mix. But um, good to see Bytel get a run in the Sandy side and play pretty well. Cooper Sherman got injured in that game. He, he'll be right to play in the twos this week. It didn't give him a chance to put his hand up. But uh, you'd think the changes would be minimal. We lose Jack Higgins to that concussion. Uh, Jaron Geary got concussed in the in the Magoos as well. So they're, they're both out of action. Zach Jones back training with the club. We don't know exactly what that means in terms of a return, but he is back. So... That's something. Jack Billings re-injuring the hammy, so he's a, a two to three weeks off. And obviously Hunter Clark getting a little bit closer to a return. But uh, you'd think Higgins out and, and Windhager in, and then what they do with Ben Long is probably the way to go. But but Nick, how are you reading the Hawthorne contest? Obviously they're going to be a, a tricky side to beat. Yeah, absolutely. It's you watch Hawthorne play now, and and it kind of takes you back to the 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 Hawthorne glory days and you know. 13, 14, 15 uh, type period, the, the way that they move the ball. Uh, they're very patient, but they're also very clean. Um, and, and once they once they find that opening, and, and we've spoken about clubs finding those openings against us and, and being able to cut through us, once Hawthorne find that opening, they're very sharp at, at moving through those, those holes in, in zones. Uh, so we, it, we, we're going to have to be really wary of that. The way that they... Um, control the ball through the back half and, and their back six is is very impressive. I mean, it's it's not a high-profile defensive unit by any means, but the way that they kind of control possession, uh, they're really patient. And again, kind of waiting for that moment is is kind of shades of, of that Clarkson um, halfback unit, just you know, Lewis, Mitchell, Hodge across halfback, keep possession, maintain possession, um, and control the game from halfback. And then when you find that moment, you go, you go bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden you've got a scoring opportunity and Hawthorne are really good at that. Um, once again. So it, it's been amazing to, to see uh, Hawthorne go from riches to riches um, without having to do that whole rebuild thing that we seem to have to do every two or three years. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, they haven't really beaten anyone that's shown much just yet. They've, they've beaten North and, and they've beaten Port and, and we've seen what's happened with Port um, so far this year. So it is hard to get a gauge. And you're right, the, 
when the fixture came out, I think we all kind of penciled this one in as as one that we should be winning, you know, nine out of ten times, if not 10, 10 out of ten times. But I think we also had Collingwood as one of those games as well in round one, and uh, we know how that ended. And it, it's one that we've got to be really wary of. Um, I'm more confident coming in this week than I was in round one, just having seen the the third quarter against Fremantle, the second half last week against Richmond. Um, you know, I'm really confident that if we can put two and a half even quarters together that, that we can get past this Hawthorne team. But um, you know, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be an easy feat, that's for sure. And what I like, H, is it's been pointed out by a couple of people is we've rediscovered a bit of resilience. So one of the most alarming aspects of last season, we, we know we had a lot of injuries and things went wrong, but it was truly alarming that when we lost control of games, we just got blown off the park and went home. Um, we were in serious trouble against Collingwood. We came back and hit the front, fought really hard, um, got outplayed, but, but had a crack against Fremantle. We overturned a difficult start to win against Richmond. We were almost stuffed and ended up belting them. We're, we're fighting this through to the siren. So it, it's clearly not perfect, but that's a much better sign that they've rediscovered that mojo, I guess, if you will. Yes, we we certainly gave up a few games last year when we fell behind. That that mm-hmm. was that was an absolute last year, uh, the Warlocks game, the Richmond game. Um, there's another one that we... Yeah. Essendon. There was, Carlton, yeah. There's a few <laughs> named there that... Every game we've had so far, we've been behind. We've looked, I guess, kind of out a little bit. I mean, Freo wasn't that far ahead, but we were just sitting there thinking we're not looking very good here. And then we've just dug in and found something. And it, I don't think it's been a lot of changing up of what we were doing. We seem to have kept the same structure, but just figured it out kind of thing. It hasn't been a lot of... I will chuck this play here and change this and do that. It's just been they've kind of switched on and worked their way into the match. And the tactics have started to work in the game. So it's, it yeah, it's, it's it seems to be something that does work. But we've, I mean, Hall, I'm not going to call Hawthorne a big team this year because they're not going to be in the end of the day, I wouldn't think. Um, but they're a team we can't let take early momentum. I mean, I'd, ra- I'd rather be level pegging or actually ahead early on this week and then have that finished or the the quarters we've had at the end of the game last year. Because that, I mean, generally that's where we've fallen over the last two years or so is being the last quarter or the third quarter a lot of the time as well. So it's um, just be in the game in that first half, be take control in the first half and then finish them off or don't let them get a start on you. So Hawthorne are a team that we, I mean, we know that they can do anything. It's, it's a matter of we, if we give them a sniff, they're going to take it. And Carlton almost gave it up to them last week. They, they Carlton actually got off to a great start and, I mean, I saw the score. That was six goals ahead or something. I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of what we expected after what we've seen so far. And I thought, oh, well, Hawthorne, we're going to fall over eventually. But they dug in and came right back at them. So it's uh, they're not going to give up. And it's good to see that we're doing the same. Because if we were, if we'd been giving away leads, 
there'd be a lot of concern going into this week, I think. So, yeah, definitely a definitely a game we should win. But we can't let him get in early and control the game on us. One of the things that, that you mentioned there, H, was, um, I guess, tactically, what changes throughout the course of, of games uh, you know, the coaching team have, have made. And, and you're right, I don't think that anything's really been done you know, prior to, to some of the roles or, or the runs that we've gone on, both against Fremantle, uh, Collingwood, and, and now Richmond. Uh, nothing's really changed. They haven't really switched anything up. But what, what does seem different, and Parker, you kind of touched on that resilience mentally, but I think physically as well, they seem fitter. We've heard for a number of years, every year, you know, you hear the president or the coach or whatever saying, they're the fittest they've ever been. You know, we're going to run teams off their feet. And for the first time since I can remember, at least for probably a decade, um, it actually looks like that, that they have confidence in themselves, that even if they do get two or three goals down, you know, early in the second half, that they're going to have the fitness to be able to run out a game properly. Um, and and last year, we couldn't even be sure that they were going to run out a quarter or a half, let alone a full game. And and we saw you know, a number of times coughing up leads um, late. I mean, the, the Adelaide ones are a, a perfect example. Um, and there were there were a number of other ones as well where we coughed, coughed up you know, legitimate winnable leads um, because we just couldn't run out games. And yeah, I know that we've got a new head of fitness um, or head of conditioning or, or whatever his, his title is. And, and I wonder how much difference something like that coming in and, and changing up those programs, working specifically on, on necessary requirements uh, from a physical perspective, how much influence and impact that has mentally on, on a group like this that, that has struggled at times to, to A, run out games, but also B, kind of will themselves back in when, when it's been required. And to get the reward too, obviously against Collingwood, it was unrewarded. And then obviously the next two that it was rewarded, obviously they've got to avoid those positions of difficulty because you won't get away with it all the time. Obviously with Hawthorne, they've got to be cautious of their rebound run, which has been significant with Sicily, CJ. Uh, obviously they'll get um, German Impey. I think they've named him in the squad. So whether he comes straight back, they do lose Wingard. Uh, who's been obviously a dangerous prospect for them, got injured uh, during the week at training. McAvoy is still out for them with a relatively long termer. But if we could bank a couple more victories with the likelihood of Jones and, and Hunter Clark to it's obviously slide back in, you know you're going to get other injuries along the way like Jack Higgins. But that's obviously what we need to try to do. Uh, looking at a few of our awards or, or segment nominations. So that's so St Kilda. It's obviously harder when you have a good week, but um, my nomination was actually blokes that come up against us who used to play for us who figure out what they're doing like Matthew Parker who I know he did a few nice things for us but he was kicking goals from everywhere and marking everything and I'm like mate did you uh figure this all out in the last six months um frustrating uh obviously we've seen it with in the past obviously the Nick Hind one at Essendon was kind of our fault because we didn't play him off halfback like they did but um first half I was like Parker's gonna kick seven yeah, well, that's typical. Yeah, spot on. It, you stole my thunder there because that was going to be mine as well. Um, <laughs> we, we we didn't talk about these at all, and, and you can probably tell listening. Um, you but, can double down on that. You can have it as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to because I didn't have anything else prepared. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Matt Parker looked like he was going to tear that game apart. And, and I remember when he got picked up by Richmond uh, in that supplemental period, whatever it's called, mm. um, that he kind of came out and said that he's got a chip on his shoulder and, 
you know, didn't like the way things ended with St Kilda and there were a few issues there and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and he kind of came out firing like, like that was the case. And he certainly You'll had get a kick, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I, I thought he was probably a little hard done by, but little, like, yeah. like, like you said, yeah, he, he didn't exactly set the world on fire consistently. He had, he had his moments for sure, but um, didn't, didn't set the world on fire consistently. And um, you know, the type of team, that we were at that stage couldn't afford to carry, I guess, that type of player or too many of that types of player. Um, and, and we had a few of those. So it, it was good to see him, I guess, play good football and I was pleased for him, but it had to be against us, didn't it? That That's so secure. He was also a victim of the COVID list cull a little bit True. where lists shrunk, but, but H, have you got one for us? Um, and just to add to that, you also had the fact that, um, so he kicked three and, the two guys we got from Richmond kick three between them. So <laughs> that, it, um, which leads on to mine in a way that Jack Higgins seemed to find the target and then we lost him. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, he looked on, he just looked so on. He, he was, he, he was, I'd said last week, you need to lift and he was on and a, a tackle that it didn't look yeah. much. In the beginning, you're sort of like, oh, yeah. He just got up and sort of shook it off a bit. And then he's just gone down the down the race. And you're sort of thinking, okay, maybe it's a bit more than what you thought. And he's in the track suit. So, yeah, it's unfortunate because oh, I reckon he was going to have a good day out the way he was looking. He actually he actually looked like he wanted to really get out there and tear him apart. And it's... Unfortunate because yeah, first kick he's found the goal. Well, his first kick of goal he's found it, and it was it was better than all the other kicks he'd had last week. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the, the crumb, yeah, the crumb, the way that he mm. possessed that ball leading up to the tackle on the goal line was incredible. He hit that ball at pace, yeah. one grab, and you know, deserved a goal. Not not to get concussed, mm. deserved a goal there. But uh, it is that is very unfortunate. Yeah, and yeah. The pressure he was putting on beforehand too on the on their defenders and that, and he was just yeah, he was he was hungry. He was very hungry. It was a pretty light incident, and it, it kind of feels like without making light of what is a very serious situation in the game, it, it feels like our players would get concussed uh, turning the shower on when the water hits their head. Um, it, it feels like it happens that simply with a, a lot of our players, unfortunately, but uh, a lot of it's just timing and the way things happen, but it is frustrating. Um, starting off with the positives, the Jason Blake award, the most underappreciated player award or players that are not getting the recognition they deserve. H, have you got one for us? Um, I, it has been talked about a lot, but I, I saw a lot I liked this week as opposed to last week it was okay but the, the number of things I saw this week some of the possessions he had some of the positions he was making Wangan and Malira I th- there's been good talk about him before he got to us but I just saw a few things on the weekend I was like yeah I think we got a pretty good one here he, he's going to learn the game he's going to get a bit bigger a little bit not be like because he's 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 a really reasonably small player, so he's got to put a bit on before he can really put it up with the bigger players out there. But I mean, twelve possessions. He, I think he used most of them quite well, um, and was twelve possessions in sixty percent of game time. So 
he knows how to find it. We've been told he knows how to use it. But yeah, there's a few good things that I don't reckon the commentators gave a lot of credit for that he actually did. So just just keep an eye on him because I think he's I think he's going to give us a lot. Yeah, and no, I like him. He's um he's he's ball movement. He's silky. He looks like he's comfortable. So um that that's encouraging. And I think the best part about all of that is we we saw Owen's debut. We've seen Wanganee Malera debut, and I reckon Windhager has looked the most ready of all three of them. So um, really keen to see how he goes this week. But Nick, you're uh, Jason Blake? This is a, this is a tough one because I think there's a few on, on our list that don't get the recognition they deserve potentially. Obviously, we've spoken about Callum Wilkie to the point of being underappreciated that we know that he's appreciated. Um, and, and there's a few guys like that. Jimmy Webster, I think is, is a bit similar in that regard, probably doesn't get the recognition that he deserves outside the club, but within the club, I think, I think that a lot of people kind of understand what, what he provides. One that, that I think is recognized as a very good player, but is potentially still um, under-recognized is Jack Sinclair. I gave him the three this week, and I think that he's become one of our better players and, and best players over the last couple of years. A few years ago, he was ranked as elite by Champion Data as a wingman, which was funny because he was in and out of the team. Uh, he he, you know, he hadn't cemented a spot at that point. He certainly cemented a spot across half-back and on the wing over the last couple of years. Uh, but I think his move into the middle, where he's now winning more contested ball, but still providing that same drive that he was off halfback or, or on the wing in terms of moving the ball forward, um, he, his run offensively and defensively and, and work ethic is is now elite. Um, and I think that as good as he is, uh, I think he probably deserves a little bit more recognition than, than he currently gets. Yeah, I think he's the most naturally skillful player on our list um, in terms of hitting targets. And uh, it probably sounds like a funny thing to say, given the way the two players are rated, but if Hunter Clark could end up being Jack Sinclair, I'd be thrilled with that. If, if we got another one out of him, if he progressed to that level and became that type of player for us, I think that would be really good. I think two guys that have slotted in and done a pretty good job for us, an honourable mention goes to line it. I reckon the two games he's played, particularly this one against Richmond, was pretty solid. I thought he was, he was handy in that game. But I reckon Mason Wood... It, it might be a slight exaggeration, but I reckon he's played well for us every time he's played for us. He's probably played 15, 16 games. I would say he's been pretty good in, in all of those games. He's had a, a few injuries, we know, but he's a good player. He, um, obviously, using him on the wing, um, I think we're, we're getting value out of that out of that trade. Not a superstar, but comfortably in our best side. Um and yeah, if he keeps playing like that, then um, yeah, we'd be we'd be thrilled. So yeah, I think he gets that that nomination. I think he's been more than adequate since coming across to to our club, uh, Mason Wood. The uh, award, the Shannon Noll Award, which we we often look at for someone that just needs a little bit of a rocket. And um, Nick, if you want to kick that one off first, uh, anyone that you still feel needs a bit of a lift. Look, it's a tough one, especially after a win like that. Uh, it, it is tough to single someone out. And and I, I think I'm probably going to be a bit harsh this week because um, you just mentioned him as, as one of the under, mm-hmm. under-recognized under blokes. But um, Jared Lynott, and I know that he he wasn't brought into the club to play every week. I, I understand that. 
Uh, obviously, the injury to Nick Caulfield um, means that there was a role there for him. Uh, and part of that role is, is being an offensive uh, halfback who's able to deliver the ball well. And, and we know his, his foot skills are very good. I saw him a lot last year in the SANFL, and he is very good by foot. Um, I think he's shown that at, at times. I think where he does need to tighten up and where he does need to lift is defensively. And there were some moments last week uh, and, again, the week before against Fremantle where you know he's got he's got 10 centimeters nearly on on Matt Parker and and Parker outmarked him and outmuscled him for, for one of those goals um and just I think he just needs to tighten up a little bit and and he could be a very good player for us I think he's been serviceable I think he's been honorable but if he tightens up defensively and still manages to to use those foot skills and and delivery off off half back then he can be a really dangerous player for us and I think there's a lot of potential for him to become really important for us if, if he can keep his spot in the team. Um, but defensively, I think that's one thing that, that he can, he can tighten up. Um, and so Jared Lyon, and I'm really sorry, mate, but uh, you got to lift. H. Um, now I think I gave Dan Butler a bit of a go last week and he's coming out and kicked two and given us, given us a bit. He, I mean, didn't, didn't have a lot of the ball, but he provided a fair bit of forward pressure and yeah, kicked the two goals and, I was reasonably happy with what he gave us on the weekend. And um, but for this week, I don't know whether the inclusion of Ryder has pushed him back a little bit or what's happened there. But he's Rowan Marshall, he's still played 90% of the game. But I just don't feel his output has been as good as what we've known him to be able to provide us. Um, it felt like he was held back a little bit. I mean, he's kicked two goals, um, stuck down forward and kicked two. But I feel there's a lot more there that he can give us. Um, There's there's absolutely no, I guess, he's not had a bad game. I'll absolutely say that. But, yeah, I think he's got a lot more in his tank to provide us. I think he needs to start transitioning as being that number one ruckman, not Paddy. Um, it, it's Paddy's going to get to the point where he's going to retire, and we need Rowan being number one. And that that's the point that once he gets past him, and we know that it's he, he's in that situation there, he's number one. Then we'll feel comfortable with the chain, the transition between the two. So I'd like to see him basically stepping up over. Um, Paddy in the ruck because Paddy's ruck work was brilliant. Rose just got a bit more to go with it, I think. Yeah, and I think that's completely fair. I think he's been serviceable, but yeah, there is another level potentially there, and that's where the the Hayes conversation comes into it as to getting that balance right with the tools. Obviously, they'll persevere with it again this week, and, and understandably so. Um, it's interesting you you mentioned Dan Butler, and he was certainly better against Richmond than he had been in the previous weeks, but. I'm going to nominate him as harsh as it is only because we saw him kick two opportunistic goals in the first quarter and, and set the game alight and, and showed the type of footy that he did in 2020. And then he went a little bit quieter again. And then obviously he, he had a hand in a, a important goal in the third quarter and certainly did a job and that nothing wrong with that game. If you get that from him most weeks, you'll be pretty happy, but it's probably just that, you know, the little glimpse and then he obviously went away again and, if he could just tap into that type of thing on a, on a frequent basis, do that 
quarter by quarter every week and, and maintain that level. It was, it, it's, it was a glimpse uh, and a glimpse of the right stuff. Um, and, and as harsh as it sounds, it's probably just Dan tap into that, mate, particularly with Higgins not in the side. We need, we need that on a frequent output. You always play well against Richmond. Um, you know, you've got a point to prove against the old side. Um, if you could do it at the MCG against Hawthorne, you know, and, and, and front up and keep doing that, it's going to be pretty important for us. So, it's not, it's yeah. Because it's not bad. We've picked blokes, two blokes that have kicked four between them, though. That's, that's yep. one. Exactly. Um, we, exactly. We, we, can, we, know, we know what we can have get from them. And, that, yep. and that's what we basically want. We want the, but what we've seen before. So yep. yeah, there's absolutely no potting the guys with the games they've played, but we Spot know on. there's more in the there's more in the tank there they can give. We know for sure. Exactly. Like we're, you, you guys are giving us some good solid sixes and six and a half out of ten, but we, we know there's something else there that you can deliver for us. But we look to Hawthorne, go Saints. Hopefully we reconvene next week at three and one, and that'd be a pretty good result with four debutants across the opening rounds of the season with Hayes. Owens, uh, Wanganeen Malera, and now Marcus Winhager. If we could get through that uh, with three wins in the bank, uh, it would be a very nice start with some players to come back. So go Saints, and we look ahead to next week, hopefully toasting three wins in a row.